Well, it's one of the most dangerous intersections in Dallas, and not because of traffic accidents, but rather because of violent crime. Unfortunately, Sharon did not know that, and as she rolled into the Exxon station around midnight, her new Mercedes was was rather like a, a flashing neon sign saying, rob me. Her attacker came out of nowhere. As she filled up her tank with unleaded, he came up from behind her, grabbed a hold of her, flung her to the ground with great force, took her keys, took her purse, and before he raced off in her car, delivered a couple of strong kicks to her just to make sure she wouldn't get up and call for help anytime soon. She lay there on the concrete beside the gas pump, her dress torn, her head bleeding, unconscious. At that time of night, there were no attendants at the Exxon gas station and few people rolling in to fill up their cars. The security cameras, however, caught everything. And later, when police detectives were piecing together what happened that night, what they found shocked them. About 15 minutes after the attack, an SUV pulled up. A well-coiffed man got out of the SUV. He was recognizable. A local celebrity pastor got out of his car, gassed up his SUV, and drove away. Had he not seen her? Turns out he had seen her. He talked to his church staff later that week and told them that the Lord had moved him to start a support group at their church for victims of violent crime, said maybe we could call it the Jericho Road Ministry. He didn't stop because he reasoned he didn't have any medical expertise. He wasn't a doctor. He wasn't a paramedic. And honestly, he was just really, really tired and wanted to get home to his family. Still, it raised eyebrows of detectives that not only had he left the scene, he had not bothered to call 911. A few minutes later, another car pulled up. This time, there were three young ladies in the car. That car, uh, they had been out catching a movie late. That car never even stopped. They rolled through the gas station, but quickly sped up and left once they saw the woman lying there. You know, they had read on the internet about these kinds of setups where some of the local gangs will, will stage an accident scene where there's a victim hoping someone will stop and then they can rob them. Well, one of them did call 911, but when the cell coverage got soft and the call dropped, she didn't bother attempting again. About 10 minutes later, the security footage showed a third car pull up. This one was a, a pimped-out, low-riding car with heavily tinted windows thumping from the rap music that was blaring within. That car did stop. And out of that car came a leather jacket-wearing man with gold caps on his front teeth, 
face tattoos, and even though it was late at night, he had on wraparound sunglasses. And the detectives watching the tape were surprised because they did recognize this fellow. They could ID him from his face tattoos, and they knew that he was the guy that ran this corner. He was the, the drug dealer who was the kind of the kingpin in this part of town. And when he pulled up, he, he went over to the lady on the ground and took a look. Obvious she was in a bad way. He patted the lady down. No wallet, no phone, no keys, no nothing. She did, however, have a very faint pulse. The dealer, with considerable effort, drug her over to his car, hoisted her up into the back seat, and drove away. Later, the police were able to to marry the security footage from this Exxon station with security footage from Medical City later that night. And they saw that same car, low-riding car, pull up there to the emergency room about 10 minutes after leaving the Exxon station. They could see a security guard there at Medical City yelling to the man, Hey, you can't park there. It's ambulances only. That's for our emergency room ambulances. The dealer paid no attention to him, walked into the hospital, came out about 30 seconds later with emergency room staff, they took the woman out of the back seat of the car, they put her on a gurney and rushed her inside to attend to her. The drug dealer turned to go and someone with a hospital lanyard came jogging up to him saying, Sir, you can't just leave. We're going to need some paperwork. We're going to know how this is going to get paid for. The drug dealer pulled a tight roll of $100 bills out of his pocket, tossed it to that hospital official and said, here's your paperwork. Nodded to the security guard who had tried to stop him from parking there earlier, got in his car, peeled out, left. Investigators who had watched the security film from the Exxon station and Medical City were frankly dumbstruck. They couldn't believe that he was the hero that night. When they asked hospital staff if they had, had, had any idea who that was who dropped the woman off, the staff said, essentially, we never got his name, must have been her neighbor. Last week in Luke chapter 10, we looked at a discussion between Jesus and a sharp young religious lawyer, and it was a conversation about the most important commandments in all of scripture and Jesus revealed to us everything hinges on love it all hinges on love loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself trying to justify himself this lawyer said okay who is my neighbor I want some precision here I want to know exactly who I am required to love and Jesus proceeded to tell that famous story much like the one I just related there had been a mugging in a high crime area, that road between Jericho and Jerusalem, a man was badly injured. He was lying on the, on the side of the road. A priest came by, 
saw the man, crossed over to the other side of the road. One of you pointed out to me last week, this was probably funny. This, there was probably an element of humor here because that road would have been not much wider than a donkey cart. So to cross to the other side of the road was essentially this, right? Kind of stepping over the guy, stepping around the guy. A Levite came by, same scene. Both of these two ignored the man who was right there in need. And finally, you know the story. A Samaritan happened by, and it's a good thing he did. He stopped, did a little triage with what he had available, loaded the man onto his donkey, took him to a place, not exactly medical city, but it was a place where the guy could recover from his traumatic injuries, left some money with him. And then Jesus turned back to that religious lawyer who had asked this question, who is my neighbor? And he said in that story, who was the neighbor? And the young lawyer said, I suppose the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus simply said, go, do likewise. And I love what Jesus did there. He took, he took this religious scholar out of the world of theory and theology and into a world known by late-night ambulance drivers and police detectives, a world of crime, a world of danger. And in this world, he frames that question, who is the neighbor? A neighbor is one who sees. A neighbor is one who stops. A neighbor is one who helps. And sadly, the story of the Good Samaritan, I mean, it, it, it can't help but this happen, but it's gotten domesticated over the years. It would have left the original Jewish audience speechless. <laughs> I mean, those words, good and Samaritan, those words don't go together, ever. The Jews loathed the Samaritans. Seven centuries of hate between their different cultures, between their different races and religions. Samaritans were considered heretics and, re and religious and cultural half-breeds. They were to be avoided at all cost. And in the stories that the Jews told, the Samaritans were never the heroes. They were never heroic figures, never do-gooders. Samaritans were the low-life villains. And naturally, the priests and the Levites in the stories they told were heroic figures. They were the, they were the threads holding the fabric of society together. People like the one asking Jesus the question, they considered themselves to be God's varsity team, the cream of the crop. And so Jesus' story would have been, to that original audience, it would have been jarring. Essentially, the story of the Good Samaritan, it is really a story about different points of view. It is a story about different perspectives that different people have. Um, lest, lest we forget, I'm going to share, share, share something that Martin Luther King said one time. He was a preacher, and Martin Luther King, in his, very, in, in his last sermon, a sermon called, I Have Been to the Mountaintop, a sermon preached the night before his assassination in Memphis, Martin Luther King drew upon the imagery of the Good Samaritan story. Listen to what he said. 
King said, the first question of the priest and the Levite was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But the good Samaritan came by and reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? Now there is a perspective, it's a natural perspective, it's a comfortable perspective that says, you know, I need to look out for myself and my family first, I need to make sure that we're safe and comfortable, and from that place of security, then I can reach out and help others, as long as it fits with my schedule, as long as it's somewhat convenient for me. And then there's this other perspective, the Good Samaritan perspective, that says, I'm going to look at the precious souls around me with the eyes of Jesus, with the heart of the Savior. And if an opportunity comes up, I'm going to help out. The Lord wants me to love my neighbor as myself. That's what I'm going to do. And I realize that's not always going to be convenient or comfortable, but that's what I'm going to do. Haddon Robinson said this one time. He said, A kind of arithmetic has been spawned in the counting rooms of hell. This kind of arithmetic is always interested in reaching the masses, but somehow never gets down to a man or a woman. This kind of arithmetic always talks about winning the world for God, but doesn't think much about winning the neighborhood for God. That arithmetic makes it valiant to cross oceans, but never really crosses the street. Jesus' final question to that religious man echoes, Who is my neighbor? Was it the pastor who knew the Bible backwards and forwards? Or the three young ladies who drove by well it turns out this question who is a neighbor this is a pretty big deal to Jesus it's a pretty big deal to the Lord listen to Romans chapter 13 verses 9 and 10 the commandments are summed up in this one rule love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor. Or Galatians chapter 5, verse 14. The entire law, the whole Bible, is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. James chapter 2, verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, yeah, you got it. You're doing right. It turns out the greatest commands go together. We love because he first loved us. We have the capacity to love people who are lovable or unlovable because of God's inexhaustible resource of love and grace that he has poured over us. I don't know about you, but it is easy for me to hear 
a sermon or read a passage and generalize it or spiritualize it so that it applies to someone else or some other group or applies to the church in a general sense but not so much to me in my situation and I gotta, I gotta say I'm getting excited about this neighboring stuff guys I'm already seeing it at work in our church I'm already seeing the spirit use this last Sunday morning remember I gave you guys homework I said hey your homework this week is just to walk around your neighborhood and pray pray that pray for your neighbors and pray that God will give you eyes to see opportunities. And Sunday morning after, after church, one of, our, one of our young friend speak couples, a Chinese couple, comes up to me. And he was so excited. And his beautiful Chinese accent said, I'm going to do my homework. And he told me they had just moved out of their one-bedroom apartment and moved into a three-bedroom house. And they were excited to get to know their neighbors. Someone else told me that uh, here at Preston Crest, he and his wife have made, made a New Year's resolution. Simply this, to get to know their neighbors. And he said, so we're, we're going to walk the neighborhood, and we're going to be knocking on doors and introducing ourselves and just saying, hey, this is our New Year's resolution. We've been here for years. We're sorry to say we've done a poor job of getting to know our neighbors, but we're going to change it this year, introduce themselves, and see what God does with it from there on out. Someone on Twitter posted to me this week that they're just going to start with this baby step of just waving when they drive by, waving to the neighbors. It's a small thing, but it's a start. God is already at work. And the deal is we're not talking about moving heaven and earth here. We're not talking about you being Mother Teresa in your neighborhood or Billy Graham in your neighborhood. We're just talking about you being a really, really good neighbor. Someone who cares about those next door and across the street. Taking those baby steps, growing into the person the Lord has called us to be, the person who is a neighbor. And so fulfill the great command. Last week, that neighborhood homework was just walking around and praying. And hey, if you didn't get around to doing that, just know I accept late homework. So go ahead and do that this week. All right? Well, this week, here's what I want you to do. Again, it's, it's not a big deal. It's introduce yourself to somebody, somebody in your neighborhood this week. And remember their name. Remember their name. There are thousands of ways to do this where it's not awkward, it's not forced, it's not weird. John Scott told me about Paula, her dad who lives in Granbury. They, they have a home on, on, the, on a golf course and he doesn't have a dog but he gets out every day, takes a walk around the golf course and guess what? Even though he doesn't have a dog, he carries a little bag of dog treats with him. And as he sees other people walking their dog, he says, can I give your dog a treat? A little bit of neighboring going on there. I like that. I, I saw this week and someone told me, you know, it's really hard. I mean, we have fences and gates and walls in our neighborhood. I'll tell you what I saw this week. Driving around my neighborhood, there's a book club. Someone put a sign up. I bet there's a book club or something like that in your neighborhood where you could meet your neighbors. 
Okay, three takeaways, and we'll finish up here this morning. From the Good Samaritan, things for you to take home. First, this is not an aha moment that's going to shock and awe you. This is simple, right? We see this throughout the Bible. It is a big deal to Jesus that I love my neighbor. This is not a small thing. Jesus calls it the greatest. Paul calls it the greatest. James calls it the greatest. says everything can be summed up by this, loving your neighbor as yourself, and that goes together with loving God because we can't love our neighbor without that fuel that we get from the love of God. The second thing is this. I will be a neighbor to someone who is different from me. Different from me. You can't read the story of the Good Samaritan and not walk away with that takeaway. Jesus chose two people who were very different. And their lives intersected. And thank God they did. A Samaritan and a Jew. And then the third bullet point. I will be alert for spirit-made opportunities. Watch for the spirit to work this week and moving forward. The Samaritan did. And instead of crossing to the other side, he crossed over and ministered to that man. As believers, you know, we have this unlimited supply available to us of love from the love of God. We are connected to God. God lives in us. His spirit indwells us. So we do not love other people because of their lovability, right? We love because God lives in us. That's why we love. And ultimately... And John is going to make this point in one of his little epistles at the end of the New Testament. But ultimately, it would be absurd for God's people to talk about how much they love the Lord who they have not seen when they can't stand their neighbor who they do see. Jesus, he saw you. He saw you injured and beat up by sin and shame. And Jesus left everything behind to come and minister to you and rescue you. If you need to say yes to Jesus this morning, make him Lord of your life, we would love to help you with that. We'd love to to see you baptized into Christ this morning. Or if you just need prayers, we would encourage you to get with somebody and pray or me or one of our elders. Respond to God as we stand together and worship.